This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio. I'm Jody Miller Young, your host. We're all about rescue here on Bark and Swagger, and today our guest is one of the tribe. Kara Sue Ochterberg is the author of the book Another Good Dog One Family and 50 Foster Dogs. Wow. Her experience of going from a new foster mom to a seasoned one has been an adventure indeed, and she's going to share some wonderful stories with us today. But first, we're going to take a short break from our sponsor, so don't go away. When we return, you'll meet Kara and discover what she's learned from those fosters, and we'll get to know some of the dogs Kara helped ready to go on to loving forever homes. So grab that favorite beverage, get comfortable, and we'll be right back. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite is nutrition. Pick up two bottles of Lico Chops, get the third bottle free. New improved Lico Chops with omega-3, omega-6, vitamin E, and now six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try Lico Chops. Buy two, get one free at Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. If you've just joined, you're listening to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio. I'm Jody Miller Young. Kara Sue Ochterberg and her family never imagined that what started as a search for a good dog to adopt would lead to the discovery that just one wouldn't do. Kara's home became a foster grand central, sometimes overflowing with puppy litters and multiple adult dogs. Crazy, you say? Yes, our kind of crazy. And she's here to tell us what it's like, what she's learned, and show us how we, too, can do this and help save dogs' lives. Hey, Kara. Hi, Jody. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, for you, it all started with your kids getting older, your heart mm-hmm. dog, Lucy, and Gracie. Tell us how all these kind of came together to set the stage for your first foster. Yeah, my kids were getting teenage years and my oldest was getting ready to graduate from high school and my dog Lucy, who I had had for 17 years, passed that summer. Mm. And we had another dog. We had Gracie, who was a puppy that we adopted way back when, when we first moved here to Pennsylvania. And uh, she was more of the kids' dog. I I don't know. I had no business adopting her when I had three small children at home. So she had not gotten the training she probably should have gotten. And so when Lucy passed, my heart was absolutely broken. And anybody who's loved a dog that long knows what that feels like. Yeah. She was a best friend of 17 years. And she had mm-hmm. been so much more than that to me. Because when we moved here to Pennsylvania, I was home with a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And my husband and his new job was traveling for weeks at a time. And it was really lonely. And Lucy got me through that. So her death really hit me hard. And apparently, it also hit Gracie harder than any of us expected because she just 
really struggled to to behave even more so than usual. So we decided we would get another dog and went to the shelters, went to the, you know, online to all the sites and and saw lots of really nice dogs, but every time it came down to it, I just I just couldn't imagine that dog for 17 years and so finally I heard about fostering. I saw a dog on a Facebook post that needed a foster home and so we thought, well, hey, this is perfect. We'll just foster dogs until we find the right one and then we'll have our dog and we'll stop and that was the plan but obviously that's not how it <laughs> turned out it didn't quite work that way no. but you discovered an amazing rescue operation pause for homes tell us about them and, and their mission yeah i stumbled onto them absolutely by accident it, like i said it was a facebook post and i had no idea who they were and i super lucky that I ended up with this awesome organization. It was started about nine years ago by two young women, one a lawyer and the other a trauma nurse, which is really the perfect combination to create a rescue that's very professional and at the same time incredibly passionate. So they have a wonderful mission. Their mission is that every home should have a dog. It's just a matter of finding the right dog. So they're not going to turn away an adopter because they live in an apartment or work full time or don't have a fenced yard. They'll find the right dog. And to date, they've placed nearly 8,000 dogs using a network of foster homes in Maryland, Virginia, DC, and South Central Pennsylvania. So these dogs come from shelters in the South, mostly rural areas, the high intake, high kill shelters, plus a few international dogs. So Galena, the Beagle Mix, was your first foster. And obviously, as your first foster, you were brand new. You were learning a lot on the job. Tell us about Galena. Tell us the feelings that you grappled with as you waited in that parking lot about to get your first foster. Yeah, it was really, it was it became very real at that moment because up till yeah. then, it just seemed like this brilliant idea, this great plan. We're going to get this little cute beagle. But then being in this parking lot, it was freezing cold. The transport was late. So it was like almost midnight. And my husband, kept saying what you know like what like every time I say well we got to go to Baltimore to this parking lot outside of bowling alley and you know it just got weirder and weirder and uh so when we got there and we saw all these people it was like discovering this other whole universe these people who rescue dogs I had no idea this was going on like right beneath our noses sort of like like the Harry Potter thing (laughs) it was just amazing (laughs) that there's this whole other world and um so, but Galena was an absolutely adorable little beagle who ate my house because I didn't know better and we turned her loose in it and um, <laughs> learned a ton on that first one. I didn't know this about beagles, but beagles will eat anything and everything. Oh, I didn't know that about beagles either, but that's very good to know. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Nick, your husband, who has been mm-hmm. an incredible supporter of your passion with fostering. Tell us a little about your family since they did play and do play such an important role in, in this journey. Yeah, so Nick Nick is an engineer and he likes dogs, but he doesn't like dogs like I like dogs. <laughs> but he has been an amazing support. I I call him Eeyore sometimes because he grumbles a lot about things, but um but he'll always get behind it and he ha- he's so good at fixing messes that I make or problems that come up with the dogs. So I'm super lucky to have him as a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have three kids, um, Brady, who, when we started fostering, was a senior in high school and is now graduating from college. Wow. And then he's pretty easygoing. The dogs are never a big deal to him. And then Addie is my theater kid. She's very intense, incredibly busy. And when we started, she thought this was a great idea, but she also thought we should just do little purse-sized dogs. She sort of had this vision for that. Um, we didn't do many of those. And uh, and then Ian is my youngest, who has just been a huge help. He loves every one of the dogs. He's a gentle giant. He's over six feet tall, but he just is so good with all these dogs. And if he could, he would keep all of them. So he's just been huge, huge help. 
I remember that from the book. Can we just adopt this one, mom? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Again and again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, having Gracie sort of as the constant throughout this whole process, throughout the book, I know one of the considerations for anybody considering fostering or for people who do already are their own dogs or other animals that they have in the house. With Gracie, you had a somewhat willing partner. You know, she would (laughs) rumble too about it from time to time, but she tolerated them. Tell us how you handled introducing the fosters to Gracie and the things you noticed that, you know, maybe reactions that we might look for in our own dogs. Yeah, well, dogs are pack animals. and I'm learning a lot more as I go with this on how they react to every other animal. And Gracie likes other dogs, but she, I don't think, was socialized super well because our older dog at the time, you know, Lucy never kind of gave her the time of day. So she sort of struggles to communicate with the other dogs. And so we're really careful when a a new foster comes in. Now, it didn't work like this in the beginning, but now that we know what we're doing a little bit better, we keep them in a crate for a while so that they can kind of just decompress and get used to the sounds and the smells. I mean, everything is foreign to this poor dog that has been brought from, you know, a chaotic shelter situation transported north on a van for maybe 12 hours or longer in a crate and then suddenly finds themselves in this home with this dog that's very suspicious of them. So we kind of give them some time to just decompress and relax and walk them on leashes and keep them in crates. And then they meet Gracie through a baby gate that separates our kitchen from the rest of the house. And sometimes that goes great and everybody wags their tails and it's wonderful. And sometimes there's a lot of growling. And so we just have to take it very slow. And Gracie does better meeting a dog off leash. Every dog seems to be different. So we try to do those introductions either in our kitchen or outside in our little, little, this little fenced area that we have so that we're ready to help her if she needs our help. But she's, she's handled it great. But you know, everybody, dog is different. Some dogs love, love dogs. And then some dogs are more people oriented. And you kind of have to know that about your dog when you go into this. Absolutely. And I find just with our dogs, you know, being out and about, some dogs they connect with right away and some dogs they just don't like from the get-go and they never like. What did you do? Did you have a situation where Gracie just didn't like a foster that you had and what did you do about it? We've had a few. Gracie is such a good dog in so many ways. Like at the time, I don't know that we appreciated it, but we appreciate it now how mm-hmm. well she'll tolerate another dog. Even if she doesn't like it, she'll give it a space. So the only time she's had any real issues is we did foster one dog for quite a long time who would who didn't like Gracie and would go after Gracie. And so we had to keep them separate all the time. And, and that was tricky. We were living, I always said, we live in a gated community here because we had so many baby gates to keep these dogs from interacting. Yeah. And, but that was, that's been rare. Most of the time they work it out. They figure out who, you know, and Gracie's been awesome at her job of, I mean, she doesn't always welcome them warmly, but she does tolerate way more than the average dog. Yeah. And, and also that they do most of the time work it out is great for us all to remember, you know, any of you listening who would consider fostering puppies. Everybody <laughs> likes the smell of puppies and those little puppy kisses. You fostered a lot of puppies, started with Wheat Penny. What should people who want to foster a puppy know? Plus, it's different. It is very different. It's a lot of work. But that said, it is so rewarding and so much fun to have puppies around. I mean, who has a bad day when you have puppies in your house? So yes, that's super fun. But at the same time, 
there are a ton of work um, with it. And it's really, really important that you follow. We have some very strict guidelines. These puppies are coming from a shelter. They're unvaccinated. You don't know what they've been exposed to. So mm-hmm. we're all like ready to display with the puppies, but they, you, you really have to keep them in a quarantine until you're certain that they aren't going to break with parvo or some other dangerous virus. So we do keep them completely in their, in their puppy room. And so that means, that means you're cleaning up after them for eight days. No, they don't go outside. They can't be out. They can't be on any surface that can't be bleached. So that wow. if, heaven forbid, and we've not had it at our house, but it has, I've seen it happen at others. If they were to break with Parvo, we have to be able to, to, you know, bleach or disinfect any surface they were on so that, that we are not bringing a virus from the South or wherever the puppy came from and spreading it elsewhere. So there are these strict guidelines, but they're a ton of fun. And once you get past that quarantine period, you become the most popular person on the street. Everybody wants to come visit your puppies and see the puppies. <laughs> how, it is how, fun. How long is the quarantine period, Kara? It's, I believe it's about eight. It's eight to ten days. I think it has something to do with whether they were in a foster home at the shelter where they came from or okay. not. So it, it's a little over a week. Yeah, yeah, just long enough to know they're not going to break with something. Okay. And that's good to know. If you find that you're fostering through a rescue that doesn't have guidelines for puppies, it's a red flag, right? It is absolutely a red flag. I mean, that's just so dangerous. And it's been happening. And more and more that rescues jump into this. And they have such great intent. And, and there is such need. And they're so passionate. But they have got to be professional and follow the medical guidelines to keep everybody safe and to not give rescue a bad name. Exactly. So you are a bit of a hound freak, if I may say so. <laughs> and Carla... The Hound, was a dog who really, truly tested your resolve to stay a foster mom. Tell us about Mm -hmm. Carla. Carla was, is still such a beautiful (laughs) dog. She's enormous. She, when we had her, she was about 75 pounds. She's an enormous treeing walker coon hound, which is the prettiest kind of hound dog in my opinion. And she was the dog I thought we wanted. So when she came up as a possible foster, I jumped on it and thought, all right, this is it. This is the dog. We did love her, but I learned a lot of things. I thought she was what we wanted, but she was enormous and loud, so loud. And she was a lot of dog in our house. And and I really, really toyed with continuing to keep her and then and not fostering anymore. But when I thought about doing it, I kind of got sad. The idea of not fostering anymore kind of made me sad. It's sort of like when you try to make a decision and you can't decide and you flip a coin and whatever answer you get, if you're disappointed, then that wasn't the answer. Right. So when I thought about not fostering anymore and I knew, and I was learning so much, but I knew how many dogs were in those shelters that needed an out. I just couldn't. So it was a tough decision and we let Carla go, but she got a great home. Wasn't she the one that used to sing on the porch all the time? Yes. She would love, she sang and sang and sang. She was such a, just, just that, I think, beautiful hound noise. Not everybody likes the sound of a hound dog baying, but I do. But, you know, this is a theme that came up over and over again for you. You know, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? Yeah. And it's what I found really interesting that sort of ran through the whole book, which is a wonderful book, by the way. I, I highly encourage everybody to get it and read it. It's a beautiful journey that you took. Um, but each of these foster dog stories intertwines with moments in your teenagers' lives that you either wanted to remember or sometimes forget. Um, <laughs> so this journey almost becomes about not only learning to let go of each foster dog you fell for, but to let your kids grow up 
and to let go of the way in which they needed you as children. And I think any of us who have human children can absolutely relate to that. You know, they grow up way too fast. Tell us about how you saw this correlation as it unfolded in your book, if you saw it as a correlation at all. <laughs> yes, I have been accused again and again of filling my empty nest, that that's what I was doing all <laughs> along. And I, I don't remember that being ever intentional, like that I never thought, oh gosh, but it definitely was part of it. I, I was wrestling with letting my oldest child go and I was really worried about him and worried about how he was going to handle life without me there to make sure that he ate and then he put on sunscreen and then, you know, all of those things. And then I would have, I started, definitely started to see the parallel between sometimes you get very attached to some dogs and you have to trust that this person that they're going to is going to care for them and take care of them and that they're going to be okay. And you also mm -hmm. have to prepare that dog. Like I wanted all my dogs when they left me to be confident, to be happy, to be as healthy as they possibly be, to be housebroken, please. And like those kinds of things so that they're going to do well. And I definitely felt like the sadness that I felt sometimes when a dog left was just like a practice run. I mean, it's so different when your kid leaves, but when Brady left, and went to college and we came home to, you know, to the dogs and the other kids and all that. I did feel like the dogs were helping me through that. They were helping me process him being gone for sure. Yeah, they did me. I mean, my daughter is 33 now and I've had dogs, you know, my whole life. She grew up with dogs, but I, I absolutely found that my dog or dogs when she left for school just like jumped right into that hole, <laughs> you mm -hmm, know, and mm -hmm. now we have four and they're all stuck in there, you know, I'm forever mommy. <laughs> and a big I, hole. I, it's a big hole and I love being a mom. So, you know, I can be that forever mommy to little ones. So I totally get it. And actually Brady left for college during the book. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Puppies, puppies, the nine puppies who arrived with less than a day's notice. And it was like, are you sure, Cara? <laughs> Um, are you sure? What was the best and the worst about that? <laughs> that was such a funny thing because we, when I originally said I wanted to take these puppies, there were only supposed to be three. And somewhere in the communication, right. we discovered that there were nine. But when, like yeah. you said, we didn't know till the day before they were coming. And we really had no idea what we were going and in, getting into. So that was a good thing because I think if I had known we were getting into, I don't know whether we would have done it or not. But they became such a precious bunch to me because I had the mom. They were two weeks old. Mm -hmm. So they were still nursing. They were still tiny little butterballs. And then some of them, their eyes weren't even open yet. Wow. Um, and their mom, Skylar, was such a beautiful dog. And Addie named that litter. They were the Hamilton puppies. And they were all named after the cast of Hamilton. <laughs> and those puppies right. taught me so much. I mean, cleaning up after puppies, after nine puppies, is kind of like trying to clean up while there's a hurricane going on because you can't ever get ahead. You can't ever get ahead because they're constantly making more mess and making more mess. But I, they taught me a ton. I learned so much with those puppies, and they've they remained really special to me. In fact, I just went to their third birthday party. It was a week or so ago. Really? Um, and they have it in a dog park every year. Yeah, this really amazing group of adopters, and they get together every year, the week of their birthday for a party. And it is so much fun, and it's so rewarding to see these dogs and how loved they are. And they're enormous now. I mean, they were teeny when they were with me, and now they're like 70, 80 pounds, big dogs. Oh my God, I have goosebumps, Kara. So all <laughs> nine adopters are close enough to all come every year? 
Well, every year it's a different bunch. It's never been all nine at once, but I think almost everybody has shows on year. The mom, Skylar, has always been there, and some a couple of others that are always there, but then it just changes because, you know, everyone's busy and sure. um, with their lives. But, yeah, it's right outside of Baltimore, so it's a hike for a couple of them. They drive a long way to come. But it just shows the kind of community that you and that the rescue have created. Um, it's really, yeah, really nice. they have their own really Facebook nice group. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So we, my husband and I have rescued a few pit mixes and um, mm-hmm. every single one of them have been incredible, incredible dogs. Uh, we've fallen in love over and over and over again and they've all found amazing homes. Thank goodness. Ginger Snap was the pit mix that you fostered and she was the first one. I don't know if she's the only since the book, but she taught you about BSL or breed-specific legislation. Talk to us about that and what Ginger as a dog, knowing what you learned, taught you. Ginger was such a cool dog. And this is going to sound really kind of naive, but when I agreed to foster her, I just fell in love with how her color. She's so beautiful. She had so much energy. I didn't even realize that she was a pit bull. She was so little and so, you know, a blur of motion. And it really didn't occur to me. I was a guest living in this other world because I didn't know about breed-specific legislation. I had no idea that existed. Mm-hmm. And when I learned about it, I was horrified. I was so horrified that this sweet little dog that just loved everyone, that there were laws against her being you know, adopted by certain people because of, because of the county they lived in or the building that they lived in. And I just can't believe that because pit bulls are the funniest dogs. They are so smart and funny and have the best personalities. And yeah, yeah they have this crazy intense energy, but, and so they, they do need to be managed. They need to be managed and they need to be challenged. And when you leave a dog as smart and clever and mischievous as a pit bull, you know, all alone for hours at a time, I, I can see why things can get crazy because they need, they need to be managed and directed. And Ginger was such an awesome dog. And so she taught me about that breed. I didn't really know that much about it, but I fell in love with it from my experience with Ginger because she was just a huge, huge loving heart and a lot of fun. And so I'm learning, I'm still learning about pit bulls and all the the mixed feelings and emotions and stories around them because for a rescue, everybody has a story to tell you about a pit bull. So hear a lot of it. Even at the dog park, seriously, Um, the sad Mm -hmm. thing is, is that there is no such thing as, well, there is a pit bull terrier, but the square head of the pit mix is a huge basin above which probably about seven or eight real breeds fall into. And the dog is vilified by the way it looks. It doesn't have to be any one of those breeds, but it's vilified by the way it looks, which is so, so sad, especially when back in the 40s and 50s, they were known as the nanny dog because they were so amazing right. with children and infants and families. And they were also called America's family dog because they were incredible with families. So it's just, first it was the Rottweiler and then the German Shepherd and then the Doberman and now the Pit Mix. Right. And, it, you know, hopefully... One day, not too far down the line, people will understand that you can't vilify a dog just by the way it looks and will move out of this. Yeah, it's just, I know, it's just really sad. Let's hold that thought while we take a short break from our sponsor. When we return, we'll learn about Kara's foster from the battlefields of Iraq 
and some of the common myths of fostering. So refresh that beverage, get cozy. We'll be right back. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back, right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. If you just joined, you're listening to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio. I'm Jody Miller Young. So, Mama Bear was your, I guess you'd call it PTSD foster from Iraq. Mm-hmm. Tell us her story, the challenges you faced, and also what she taught you. She was a beautiful dog. Is a beautiful dog. She is, uh, was huge and white. And I, I had not taken an international dog, but I had heard about these dogs. There were actually three that were brought over at the same time through an organization called Nalzad that helps soldiers reunite with their dogs. Mm-hmm. And Mama Bear got her name because she looked a little like a bear because um, village children had cut off her ears half of her ears and, and half of her tail. So she oh had little stubby ears and little stubby tail. And she also got that name because when the rescuers who to get, they were actually going to this university because in, in any war-torn country, dogs are everywhere because they've been abandoned, tens of thousands of dogs. And so dog packs form. And they were going to this university to rescue these dogs because the university's policy was to exterminate any dogs found roaming on the campus. Wow. And so when they got there, the one dog was pregnant and they were almost immediately surrounded by other by this pack of dogs. And um, Mama Bear appeared and sort of protected them and kept this other this bunch of dogs at bay while they attended to this pregnant dog and another dog and they took them away. And so she then they eventually went back and rescued Mama Bear from the the campus also. And so they gave her that name because she was such a protecting force there. And that dog did have her puppies and they all got adopted there. But then these three adult dogs, they could not get find homes for. And so they were shipped to the U.S. And then OPH took them from there. And she landed with me and she was such a different dog because there's nothing like an American dog. And I've always struggled to to explain what she looked like to people, what was so incredible, but she had this regalness about her, a wisdom, I, I guess, because she'd seen so much. And yes, um, and she still was such a loving dog. I mean, she just embodied the, the idea of forgiveness because of what that dog had been through. And yet she was so gentle and so sweet to everyone she met, to everyone in my home. But you knew something else was going on because like, she wouldn't walk through a narrow hallway. She was, would absolutely not refuse to move, to be carried, even be carried through a narrow mm-hmm. hallway. So something mm-hmm. bad happened to her there. So you yeah. knew she had these stories, but she still was a beautiful, loving dog. That just blows me away how dogs can be through the most cruel and horrible situations. And as soon as they finally get that they're safe, and you just want to love them, they just blossom, boom, right away. I mean, it's yeah. 
Amazing. Amazing. John Coffey, love the name, John Coffey, John Coffey. <laughs> <laughs> it's origin, his antics in the book, that he was an interior designer to boot. <laughs> Always around. <laughs> Tell us about him. He was a really fun one, it sounded like. Oh, my gosh. John Coffey was, was such a fun dog. And he got that name because he was on death row in Aiken, South Carolina, just like the character in the Green Mile. Um, wow. And he, he was a little Boston Terrier pit mix. And just so much fun, so much crazy, crazy energy. He he was obsessed with chasing balls. Like anywhere he could find a ball, he would. <laughs> and if you wouldn't throw it for him, he would throw it. He would fling it in the <laughs> air and then dive on it and chase it down. And he would do this for hours. Like we had to hide balls. We had to take them and put them away. And at that time, Brady had been trying to make the tennis team for like that whole that whole year. It seems like. And so they're just he would find balls everywhere. Tennis balls all over my house that I didn't realize were there. He'd find them and they'd start, and we'd have to hide them and. He was just an absolute blast. He did move furniture around. He moved his bed <laughs> to where he liked it. It was a huge bed. It was easily four or five times his size. And he would drag it across the floor and put it where he wanted it. And he would move toys, make piles near the door. I always wondered if he was like piling there to make sure he took them when he left. I don't know why he would do it, but he would pile certain <laughs> toys by the door. And he was just a ton of fun. And he got a great, great, great home. I even saw him recently. I, I did a signing at a Barnes & Noble near the town where he moved to and he came out and signed books with me it was so much fun oh that's so cute i love that <laughs> how long do generally i know it varies but generally how long does the foster stay with you with every dog it's going to be at least a week because we have a, a one week hold on our dog mm -hmm. um just to you know make sure they're what they say they were but i would say usually i have one go home today and i had him for just over two weeks and he's a really nice dog so about two weeks to a month usually and sometimes okay. a lot faster sometimes you know if it's a highly desirable dog or it's a good time of year people tend to adopt a lot more in the spring and summer mm -hmm. and early fall it could be even it could be even less it could just be a week yeah and that's good for us to know there are so many great stories about the dogs and you and your family's interaction with them throughout the book and you know lord knows how many other dogs you fostered since you finished the book <laughs> i mean how many dogs is it up to now about do you know it's 138. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> okay. So do you have a favorite story that comes to mind about any of the fosters? That's so hard because they're so, they're yeah, all favorites. I know. <laughs> I know. One that was really, really special was a puppy. I had my very first mama, pregnant mama dog here, and she was only an eight month old puppy herself. Oh, wow. She was pregnant. And she gave birth to four little puppies in my mudroom. And one of those puppies was fluffy little white and black color. And they were born right around Christmas time. So I gave them Christmas names. And so this one little white and black puppy's name was Fruitcake. And about three, at about three weeks, when most puppies are up and walking and crawling and their eyes are open, their ears are opening, he was still flat as pancake. And so as he got bigger, he just kind of got fatter and flatter and he couldn't stand. And um, he was diagnosed as a swimmer puppy, which it's odd because I keep seeing this year on Facebook, um, lots of posts about swimmer puppies. And at the time I, that this happened, I had never heard of it or seen it. But what, what is happens it? is their joints. So they're, yeah. when they're born, they seem completely normal. But then as they grow, the muscles where their limbs are connected to their body, and I know I'm using all the wrong terminology, don't develop as well, and so, or don't develop at all. And so they, they can't sit, they can't stand. They're just flat with their big wow. starfish puppies too because their their limbs are splatted Slate. out in all directions. Yeah. 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 And the real risk is that as they get heavier, they're gonna die from congestive heart failure because they're just all their weight is, you know, on their organs. 
Yeah. And so breeders used to, and I don't know if they still do, euthanize swimmer puppies because it seemed to be more humane than allowing them to die, you know, of a painful death. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I went online, started reading all about it, and we did all kinds of things. So my, we, first we built, my husband built these chutes using two by fours. That So when you set fruitcake up in there upright, his legs couldn't move because of how narrow the chute was. Mm-hmm. And by using that chute, we were able to get him sitting. He could sit. He got to his front legs, could push up and stay upright, but his back legs were still flat out and he couldn't crawl or move. And so then my neighbor, who's also my vet, came over and he create, used medical tape and created hobbles for his back legs. And we put yoga mats down in the puppy room to give him more grip. And we continued to use the shoots and Nick built bigger shoots. And I had tons of volunteers that would come and we just did therapy with this dog constantly. I had just different people, people from the rescue, friends and neighbors showing up and just helping this puppy exercise those limbs. If he was too tired and he didn't want to work in his shoots, then they would hold him and they would just move his legs, you know, and like a little yeah. pattern, like swimming. And within about two weeks, he was walking and it, with the hobbles and it, like probably another week after that, the hobbles were off and he was walking really very well. And by the time he was adopted and went home, he could run and you would never have known, never have known that he that started so out. That is so amazing. Oh yeah, my God, it was an incredible thing to watch happen. You saved this puppy's life. Yeah, well, me and uh, my, our whole village, because it seemed like there were so many people here. that were, We called ourselves Team Fruitcake because so many people were coming and going. That is incredible. Wow, what a great story. What are your favorite things about being a foster mom? Um, well, obviously the dogs are super fun. And it's, it is, my kids say, it's like we get a new dog every couple of weeks. So that's exciting, getting to know them and figuring out how you can help them and how you can, like you said earlier, blossom because they are so kind of shut down when they arrive. And you don't know what kind of dog you're going to have. It's never the dog that you picked up at the transport because within a week there's somebody new and so that's really cool but I have to say the, the part that surprised me and has uh, continued to be one of my favorite things is I've just meeting so many people like people that I would never have met but for the fact that they're interested in this dog and they come to my house 138 families now or 136 because wow. I have two here have come up my driveway you know and I've met these people that I would never have encountered otherwise that's just been a treat and the people that I foster with the other volunteers I feel like I have this whole network of friends that I found through fostering and that's something that many you know rescues or whatever don't play up when you're trying to find new fosters to come and join us is that you get this whole village of people who are supporting you and cheering you on and helping you and picking you up when it's hard so that's been a really cool part of the whole thing. And it's, you know, the common denominator is the love for animals and that's an immediate icebreaker. So it's like you've got all of these new extended family members that are all part of the tribe, as I like to say, you know, so it's really nice. Tell listeners some of the most common myths about fostering, because I'm sure there are people listening who might like to foster, but they have this belief system or these beliefs about it, some of which may not be true. Right. There are a lot of myths. So one of the biggest ones I hear a lot is people think if they work full time, they can't foster dogs. And actually, those are the best kind of fosters because odds are the people adopting the dog work full time. And so when you bring it into your home and having that quiet time in the beginning, especially we call it a shutdown period. And in our rescue, we insist that people give the dog a shutdown period, fosters and then adopters too. You're helping prepare that dog for a life for that life. I mean, dogs sleep. I don't know what the numbers are, but some ridiculous amount of hours, like 18 hours a day or something. Yeah. Dogs. So if they're going to spend that time in, you know, in a crate or in, in a, 
a room in your house or whatever, uh, however you foster, you're preparing them for the life they're going to have. So, so working full time is not really is not a problem. But a lot of people think you can't foster a dog if you work full time, and that's just simply not the case. And mm. and and then people worry that what if what happens if I go away? Like I I can't foster because I travel for work or I go on vacation or whatever. And if it's a good rescue or a good shelter, they're going to find housing for that. So when I go away, if I can't find another foster to take my current foster dogs, then the rescue will put the dog in board in a boarding facility for that weekend or week or however long I'm gone. And that's just part of the process because they support us so much. Mm. And then, uh, I think the other, the really big one that everybody always says is they're so afraid they won't be able to give the dog up. And I was just going to say, foster fail, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody thinks, gonna, and foster fail is a real thing, and it does happen. And we certainly have fosters who foster once, and, and then they think they're done. And we, in fact, we've been talking about how do we get these people to realize they can still do more just because you foster failed once. But you know what, when you get into this and you start to see how many dogs, and you see these lists, because we choose which dog we foster, we're not told to foster, you know, everybody has their thing. I love hound dogs. I love big dogs. I love boy dogs. I love energetic dogs, but everybody has their thing. Some people like smaller dogs or girl dogs or whatever, you know, everybody picks what they want to foster. And when you start to see these lists of dogs that are dying in our shelters, literally because there's no place for them to go, the shelters do not have enough room to house the number of dogs that are coming in has nothing to do with how adoptable they are. When you see that, then it's easy to give up a dog because you realize if you don't give up this dog, you can't save another dog. And that was how I explained it to my children in the beginning. And that's what I continue to tell people when they say they can't foster because of this. And I say, yes, you can, because when you see this great need, you cannot help but help. Yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense. Do you think like with Brady graduating college this year and, you know, then starting his independent life, do you think him and your your other kids will end up fostering at some point in their lives too? I would definitely think they would consider it. I know Ian will. He's already said that's what he's going to do. And he's only going to foster the big dogs, the really big dogs. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I imagine Addie, Addie really has been on this whole tangent. She wants us to foster cats which is a thing. And actually our rescue has branched out and started doing that. There's even more of those out there without home. Oh yeah. There's an even bigger need. Yeah. Even bigger need for fostering cats. And so I imagine she'll probably do that. Yep. (laughs) Very, very cool. So, okay. Let's say there are some listeners that are saying to themselves, okay, willing to try this out. How would you suggest they get started and any pitfalls to avoid? Um, I would say start by volunteering at a local shelter or rescue um, and get to know that organization. And there are lots of things that you can do without fostering that are very, very helpful. And once you get in on the inside, I guess, of a rescue or a shelter, you get to know that organization because there's a couple of things you need to know. Like, are they professional? Are they going to support you? Do they offer some kind of training? Where do they get these dogs? How do they vet their dogs? How do you know that it's safe to bring this dog you know, to your house? So how are they assessed? So Getting to know the organization first is a great way to learn some of those things. And some of them, you know, you can't necessarily lose them. But without that professional side to a rescue or shelter, things can go sideways very quickly and you need to know that you have some support. And a lot of shelters and rescues also allow people to do pupovers or or doggy day out where you can just take, take a dog for a day or a few hours or however, overnight or for a weekend. Anytime you're getting that dog out of a shelter atmosphere, even for a brief time, you're helping that dog. And if that's all you can do, then do it because it's going to help. It's always going to help. And that's a good way to try it out. See how your family Mm -hmm. responds, how your dog responds. 
and just asking a ton, a ton of questions so that you're really clear on like, who pays for the vet bills? Who gets the dog to the vet? You know, how do I know, you know, is the dog vaccinated before it comes to my home? Those are things that you, you want to be clear on. You want to find a rescue or shelter that is, you know, very professional and how they do that. Absolutely. Great, great advice. Once again, everybody, Kara's book, Another Good Dog, One Family and 50 Foster Dogs. I highly recommend it. Where can people buy your book and learn more about Operation Pause for Homes? Well, you can find links to both the rescue and to buy my book on my website, anothergooddog.org. But the book's available anywhere books are sold. So you can find it just about anywhere. Barnes & Noble usually has it. Fantastic. Kara, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate your insights. Love the stories about the dogs and wish you continued success with the book. Thank you so much for having me, Jody. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you all for listening. Thanks to our producer, Mark Winter, who makes us sound so good. We love you for that, Mark. My passion is living stylishly in animal rescue. So tune in next time to discover the designers, home decor, styles, and rescue stories I love. And don't forget to visit me at BarkAndSwagger.com, where you'll find great fashion, shelter stories, and more. So until next time, when fierce fashion calls, bark and swagger. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.